You are tuned to Nerd Noise Radio, Channel 2. Thank you for joining us today for today's installment of Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2. Today's broadcast is C2E3 for Mishmash Monday, March 15th, 2021. Today's broadcast will be called Mishmash Monday, Volume 1. And we open today with track 4 from Starsky and Hutch on multiple platforms, composed by Tim Fallen. Hugh, what do you think of this track? Yeah, I, I really like it. it. It feels like it could be... Um, definitely something from the 70s. Feels like it could have fit in, in the original show. Uh, kind of Very kind of funky. Uh, I have no opinion of this game. I forgot this movie existed and um, forgot about the, the game, obviously, too. Yeah, when I first discovered this game, it was probably, it was probably 2011, I'm guessing. And 
I've never played it, and I and I saw some screenshots of it around then, and then have never thought about it again except for the music. Uh, and it kind of looked, it almost kind of looked. I don't know if it looked more like a GTA, like a tame GTA, or a gritty Crazy Taxi. I don't know, but mm-hmm. uh, somewhere in there, you know, your the camera follows you behind the car and all that stuff. But the music in this game is extraordinary, and it's of course it's Fallen Brothers music. And the thing I love about the Fallen Brothers so much is they're kind of like the anti-Koshiro. Mm-hmm. You know, Yuzo Koshiro is, is a chameleon. You know, anyone who can do Act Razor convincingly and Streets of Rage convincingly is a total chameleon. He can do any kind of music he wants. Well, the Fallen Brothers are the opposite of that. Everything they do, and I mean this 100% as a compliment, but everything they do kind of has this trademark sound, this Fallen Brothers mm-hmm. sound. And this piece is no different, you know. It's it's using updated instruments, you know, uh, but it has that Fallen Brothers sound. This would be at home in Spider-Man X-Men if it weren't for the instrumentation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what you mean, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I do think this is probably my favorite track from the game, although track six is extraordinary also. Uh, so, we don't know anything about the game. We don't know whether it's good or not, but mm-hmm. we know the music is good. So, if if this is if this track is what your appetite, then definitely go out and listen to the rest of it. Yeah, I know the Metacritic scores are not great on it. Okay, so take that for whatever it's worth. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another th- hallmark of Fallen Brothers music is a lot of times it's it's music that is much better than the game it belongs to. Yeah, yeah. Looking at our lineup for today, uh, we got a couple of those. Yeah, um, co- co- definitely a couple soundtracks for the game is. Um, not as good as the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do definitely agree with that. Um, okay, well, what do you have for us? Um, yeah, so what do I have? I'm going to turn that off. Um, so last time we, we talked, we were doing a uh, Christmas-themed episode, and I played a game by uh, Jerome Tell, or is pre- perhaps it's pronounced Jerome Tell. And that kind of sent me down a uh, rabbit hole of looking for other songs by him. Okay. And I landed on this one here called Trickster for Mayor from The Flash. And this is on the uh, Sega Master System. All right. Let's go ahead and give it a listen.
yeah, that is Trickster for Mayor from The Flash on Sega Master System. I don't know who Trickster is, but he is apparently running for mayor. Yeah, I don't know who he is either. Uh, obviously a DC villain, but... Could be. I'm guessing by the name he's a bad guy. I, I know how uneducated this all sounds. Uh, I watched some footage of this game, though, and it actually looks a lot of fun. And oh. uh, the music really fits the level. Okay. All right. Uh, all I've seen is the title screen. And I thought, well, that sprite looks off. I mean, it's a you know, small sprite, but it's really colorful. And I'm like, I bet this game looks really good. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So I don't think this was a, a huge release. It was kind of like a late, looks like European exclusive. Oh, it never came but out yeah. over here? I do not believe it did. Okay. All right. Well, I really like this track. It, it doesn't... We were talking about the Fallen Brothers vibe. It's different enough that I wouldn't confuse it for a Fallen Brothers track, but it, it does, you know, I mean, it, the, the arpeggio effect and then the key changes, all that stuff does kind of vaguely remind me of the Fallen Brothers. Mm-hmm. No, there is a Flash game on Game Boy that came out around the same time. Okay. May or may not be the same game. Okay. Um, like. Well, it looks good. It sounds good. It's definitely something you have to look into more. All right, so what do you want to hop over to next? Well, that's the funny thing. Let's go ahead and stay with the Master System. My next track is Boss from Black Belt, and the composer is Katsuhiro Hayashi. So let's go ahead and, and dig in. Thank you. 
Okay, and that was Boss from Black Belt on the Sega Master System, composed by Katsuhiro Hayashi. What's this, what's this do for you, Hugh? Uh, yeah, I like this. I mean, it's it's a very fun song. I, I definitely enjoy the song. Not a big fan of the game. This is uh, number two uh, example in this, this episode of uh, Soundtrack Better Than the Game. <laughs> okay. But this uh, this would fit in in so many different Master System games. Like, if you just listen to this, um, I, I could... And you asked me what game it was for. Like, I, I could believe it's in any Master System game. Just about. Like, yeah. 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 Well, the Master System sound hardware, the SN76489, is so limited that, you know, there's only so much diversity in sound anyway, you know. But mm-hmm. um, that was the weird thing about the Master System versus the NES, is it was, it was far more capable for graphics, but far less capable for sound, you know. Yeah. So, um, the big thing that I take away from it is it reminds me so much of Wily's Castle One from Mega Man Two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can hear that. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, this part here at the beginning reminds me of Wily's Castle, but the bridge reminds me is even more. You know that that really reminds me even more. Um, back before the start of Nerd Noise Radio Channel One podcast, I had Nerd Noise Radio as uh, as like a Facebook page and a YouTube or a um, Twitter page. And I had this th- this thing that I called Vibe Off, where it was like, like Black Belt versus Wiley's Castle One, you know, and other things like uh yeah, yeah. like uh, Stage Two from Streets of Rage versus Blue Boo Moon from Super Adventure Island, and so on and so forth. Um, one of these days, I've already talked about this with uh, Trey Johnson from Nintendo Maine, um, and we're gonna do we're gonna partner up for an episode that's all quote unquote Vibe Offs like that. So. This will make it into that, I'm sure. So, um, I won't swear to it, but I also think this is the first ever Master System game I ever played. Because I got Master mm. System real late. It was uh, summer 1998. I had just graduated from high school. And I had a friend who was a couple grades younger than me, and she really wasn't much of a gamer anymore. And she had one just laying around. She said, do you want it? And I'm like, heck yes, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I remember back... I have memories back in the early 90s of being at the store and seeing uh, Sega games in white boxes and knowing that that was an 8-bit Sega. But in the time between the early 90s and the late 90s, I had completely forgotten that the Master System even existed. So it was it was such a strange feeling for me. It's like, it's like this is, oh my gosh, an 8-bit Sega, like the NES of Sega. And it was like, it really was like a paradigmatic feeling. It's just, it was so weird. But yeah, so... This game has a lot of good memories for me. It's not a great game on paper, but it just kind of feels like a, mm-hmm. a strange, like a looser, less clunky take on like Kung Fu Master. Kung Fu, yeah. 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 I mean, Kung Fu Master is, um, I mean, it, it's okay for its time, but I, I don't think you'd want to play it too much today. No. It's Kung Fu with super jumps. Now, was, this was this is actually a reskinning of a of a Fist of the North Star game, isn't it? I mean, in Japan, this game was a Fist, Fist of the North Star game, I think. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I can't remember what the full name of the game was, but then they're like, this is before Fist of the North Star got popular over here, and like, well, no one's going to know what that is, so let's just put a generic guy in a karate gi and call it Black Belt. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we've all heard of Black Belt. Right, That's right. a thing people know. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, okay, so what do you have for us next? Uh, let's see, uh, let's stick with um, 8-Bit Sega for at least one more minute. And uh, let's go to Sonic Triple Trouble. Uh, I picked the track Sunset Park Zone Train. This is on the Game Gear. 
Okay, let's give it a listen. So this is uh, Sunset Park Zone Train, uh, again from Sonic Triple Trouble, and the composer is uh, Yeoi Waki. I apologize too. <laughs> uh, this is such a great uh, Game Gear game. Like this, this would have been an absolute hit on the Master System. Um, I, I don't know if you played this, but it, it it's um, I mean visually not as good as as a Genesis Sonic game, but. Play-wise and level design-wise, I, I think it's on par with the, uh, you know, with Sonic One at least. Okay, yeah, I haven't played it. I think the only uh, Game Gear slash Master System Sonic game I played was the first one, but I thought I was impressed with that trend. No, it was the second one. I haven't played the first one. It was the second one, uh, but I was really impressed with that, you know, that output. So I assume this would be just as good. The thing <laughs> that really grabs me about this track is, you know, it's taking place on a train, right? But uh, between the shuffly percussion and everything else, it really does kind of have that feel of a train going down the tracks. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I can, I can definitely hear that. Yeah, it really, I mean, it captures the mood of it just perfectly. Where is this in the game? Um, you know, it's been a while since I played. I think it's let's go middle-ish. Okay. Been quite a while since I played. I got this on some weird like master system collection a long time ago i know it's not a master system game but it was on a this um coleco master system thing that they sold a target for like a week okay all right well hardware wise there's very little difference between a game gear and a master system anyway so yeah yeah so it's close enough yes i've been looking at uh game gear programming lately just um i don't know because it's still winter you know i've been looking at it and uh (laughs) Doesn't doesn't seem any different than Master System really. Uh, the resolution's a little different, but otherwise not that many differences. Lower resolution, higher color, and stereo sound, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Otherwise, it's a Master System. Um. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, 
I, I wish I had played this game so I had more to say about it, but I just, you know, I what I know from 16-bit and by extrapolation 8-bit Sonic games, and knowing it's a train, yeah, I think this is perfect. I think this is perfect music for what it's set out to do. And I was wrong. This is only the second uh, major stage in the game. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's much earlier than I remember. Um, okay. Look that up. It's, uh, yeah, pretty early on. Okay, awesome. Well, now you've got me curious, so I'm going to have to look this up and, and give this a try. Um, I guess before we go to our next track, if anyone listening has any thoughts about this game, you know, let get a hold of us on, on nerdnoiseradio at gmail.com or on social media, and let us know what you think. You know, share some memories, whatever. Um, okay, so the next track, we're going to go in a completely different direction. We're going to go to the CDI. Uh, we're going to go for one of the tracks that I had left out of episode two. It's Nortinka from Link, The Faces of Evil, composed by Tony Trippi. Let's give that a listen. that was Nortinka from Link the Faces of Evil on the CDI, composed by Tony Trippi. Hugh, have you played this game? Uh, no, I have not. I, I do own a CDI, but I don't have this game. The only um, the only CDI game I own is Defender of the Crown. Okay, I don't have that one. You'll have to tell me about it. Yeah, yeah it's basically, Defender of the Crown is like um, a strategy game, but for dummies. Like, I'm not big on strategy games, but Defender of the Crown is like super simple. And it's, you know, kind of based on historical time period. And um, you can fling diseased cows into your opponent's castles. <laughs> that almost sounds like a Monty Python moment. I, I think yeah. I think we've mentioned Monty Python at least once every episode so far. I think so, yeah. So we'll have to see if we can keep that going. <laughs> but So th- this song here, like, if you played this, if you, like, um, you know, interrogated me and played the song and said, what game is this from? It would be a million guesses before I got to a Zelda game. I know. I know. This is this music. 
is the epitome of not Zelda. It's, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like having Arnold Schwarzenegger play Homer Simpson, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. It just doesn't fit at all. But just because it's the epitome of not Zelda music doesn't mean it's not excellent. I think I, I think I called it 90s cheese whiz music, Mm -hmm. but it's so good. It's so captivating. It's so compelling. Um, I really, I, I really think the CDI Zelda games, um, terrible as they are, the music really is great. Really mm-hmm. is great. So much great stuff on both games. Well, there's a third one. I don't know anything about that one, but the two no. side-scrolling ones, the music is really good. Um, I have a lot of nostalgia about this game. My um, In the early 90s, my I have uh, two uncles, and they, they had uh, a CDI. And, you know... As kids with Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, this really seemed kind of futuristic to us at the time. And it was on a great big TV, uh, the great big sound system, this great big room with a fireplace and all that stuff. And it was just, it was so amazing. And when I got my own CDI in the early aughts, we lived in a house that was so close to that house that I could see their back deck from my front window. And so it was so surreal for me to be playing this game and then look out the window and see the place where it had all happened. And then a couple years later, they got, uh, my uncles replaced their old upright Blackwood console tube TV with a, they joined the flat panel age. And so I took the console TV and then I could play this game and Tetris and Kether on the same TV that we played it on back then. And then look out the window and see the same house where it happened. It was just such, it was so magical to me to, to get to do that. Um, the games are garbage. I mean, I think everyone knows that, right? Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's accepted. Yeah. That's kind of canon. But um, this game, all these games also kind of introduced for me the concept of the guilty pleasure in gaming. A game that everyone says is garbage, and you know full well it's garbage, and you love it anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, Street Fighter 1 is a great example of a guilty pleasure for me. The game is terrible, and I love it. Ah, uh, yeah. It's, it's terrible, and, and I don't care for it at all, really. Um, <laughs> okay. The music is all right. I mean, that, uh-huh. that part's kind of fun, but uh-huh. it's really not enjoyable to play. Um, th- this track, though, this sounds like it would be the um, menu screen from, like, a PC Engine CD game. Yes, I can definitely I can definitely see that. But it's happening in, this, like, a, a Tundra. So it doesn't really, I don't know if it really, I mean, I said when I was talking about in episode two, I said it kind of has a snowy feel, but I wonder if that's just me knowing that it happens in the snow field. Like, I don't know if this would invoke yeah. anything wintry to it, out of context. It does not feel wintry at all. It's it, it's like, I'm going to buy a PC engine game called like Quiz Madness or something, you know, some important <laughs> game like that. And this is the music playing at the beginning of it. Okay. All right. I can hear it. I can hear it. Well... In any case, uh, to the listeners, if they haven't checked out the CDI Zelda games, uh, especially the CDI Zelda game music, it's worth it for the music at least, and the cheese of the terrible cutscenes. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, okay, so what's next? Uh, all right, so we're gonna stick with. Um, well, not stick with. We'll go back to handheld systems for a moment here and go with uh, uh, the Game Boy TMNT Fall of the Foot Clan Stage. Two. Uh, this is by Tomoko Nishikawa and Michiro Yamani. Mm-hmm. 
right. TMNT Fall of the Foot Clan Stage 2 on Game Boy. This is uh, such a simple but incredibly fun game. Yeah, I agree. And I think it looks great for a Game Boy game, too. I mean, the the play window is a little small, but the characters are huge and detailed. and It's a really fun game. And and this is my favorite piece of music from the game, too. You know, whenever this... This happens more than just on Stage 2, but whenever I would come back, I'm like, oh, yes, this piece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I um, I picked this game kind of out of a hat for games I was going to gonna use this episode and listen to each song this is when i landed on as being best too okay well so you need to tell the listeners the story about how you picked your tracks because that's really quite a story well oh yeah yeah i mean you um you suggested that we do a uh, random show you know no particular theme mm-hmm. so i uh took a list of uh 21 game systems that i thought i could talk about and uh put that list into random.org and whatever the first seven game systems that came up were though i was going to pick a game from each of them and uh, made a point to try and pick a game that I would probably not otherwise pick. Like, that would not come up in a theme, usually. So, I got, an, I, I got a lot of portable and 8-bit systems out of it. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. I do. Because I wasn't thinking anything along those lines at all. I was, I was actually going for... Um, it was kind of a shopping list for me. You know, I kind of had some ones that were really important to me to get out. And I think the two most important ones are still coming. Okay. Uh, I don't. We haven't hit those yet, but um, yeah, no, mine was more missional. It wasn't so random. Um, what's interesting is this is C two E three Mishmash Monday Volume One, but we also have C one E ten Mishmash Monday Volume One, and I'm worried that's going to confuse the hell out of listeners. This is our second. This is Nerdwise Radio's second Mishmash Monday Volume One. So, well, I'm <laughs> already con- confused. <laughs> if anyone's confused, I'm happy to straighten it out for them. So. Um, but yeah, this game is short, it's simple, yeah. but it's a lot of fun, it's really comfortable to play, and it looks gorgeous. Um, I think what we're going to go to next is we're going to go to, um, I had mentioned in episode two that I had three Omake tracks that I wanted to include but didn't. Well, I didn't bring all three to the show today, but I brought two of them, and what we're going to hear is the second of the two, and we're going to stay with the TMNT theme. That's right. This is Winter's Here from TMNT2, the arcade game on the NES, composed by Yasuhiko Mano. Let's go ahead and check it out.
So that was Winter's Here from TMN2, the arcade game on the NES, composed by Yasuhiko Mano. He, what you, what, what jumped out at you about this track? Yeah, you know, I really had not ever just sat down and listened to this track. Like it's always just been background music because I mean it is background music. <laughs> um, but listening to it now, I'm like appreciating how complex it is because it sounds like it's using more tracks than you actually have on the NES. Um, and the percussion in particular sounds really good on here. Mm-hmm. Well, so everyone thinks of the Super Nintendo, or geez, Nintendo, not Super Nintendo, yeah. Nintendo as a four-channel system. You know, the, the white noise, the triangle wave, and the two pulse waves. Um, but it has a fifth channel, which is a really basic, really basic 80 PCM sampler channel. It's like mm-hmm. one bit, one bit. Uh, and to use it in music in a game actually even required a mapper. You know, so the rest yeah. of the system can handle the load of that. But um, that's what's happening here. That kind of pitter-pat percussion is being done by that sampler channel. But it's not any extra hardware. You know, it, it is still, it's it's just plain 2AO3 that's handling this. Yeah. So. You know, it sounds really good. I mean, they, um, they definitely did a great job with this track. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's my favorite track in the game. Um, you know, I, th- I think we mentioned in, in the Omake section of episode two that, that, um, that it, this was a base. This is based on the arcade, ga- the TMNT arcade game, but it added a couple extra levels. There's this one, and then there's kind of a a, a samurai kind of dojo level later on in the game. Um, I will say the thing I, I on the last episode I had to choose between including this track or including the track from Home Alone, and I chose Home Alone because it actually quote it was it actually had Christmas music in it. But in retrospect, if I had to do it over again, I would have chosen this one instead because we got this game for Christmas 1990. And, and the, ep- the last episode came out the day before Christmas 2020. So uh, one day short of the 30th anniversary of this track entering my life. And I think that's special enough that, that I should have chosen this one. Oh, well. Yeah. Hey, so how much do you think Pizza Hut paid to have their signs in that snow level? <laughs> a lot. I'm sure there was a lot. Uh, you know what? I think I still actually have the coupon for the free uh, personal pizza that came with this game. Oh, hmm. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but I don't know, man. You get you get the right uh, you you get the right Pizza Hut employee. They they might bite on it. A collector. Offer it to yeah. a collector, and and they'll buy you a pizza. Yeah, in exchange for the coupon. In exchange for the coupon, yeah. Yeah, so I could I could use it if I want to. But, you know, I, I guess I'm just enough of a collector that I think I'm actually happy that I still have it. I cannot think of the last time I had Pizza Hut. It's Probably over 20 years. Okay. I, I had Pizza Hut just a, uh, earlier this week, actually. It's it's nothing to get excited about. No. It's utilitarian grade pizza, but you know what? It's it's food. It, it's it's it, and if you if you put the right toppings on it, it's still a, a passably enjoyable experience. I I don't know about you. I, I tend to go for uh, sausage, mushroom, jalapeno, and pineapple when I get pizza. Okay, I I, I won't go near jalapeno or pineapple in real life. So, <laughs> oh, pineapple, I guess I'll eat, but uh, jalapeno I actually like, but it does not agree with me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, maybe, I, it's probably a regional thing. Like, when I was a kid and we were living in, like, middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, like, Pizza Hut was, like, that's that's fancy dinner time. That was, like, a big deal going out to Pizza Hut. And eventually, if you move to the Chicago area, you know, Pizza Hut is, like, not the top ten best pizza option in the area. Oh, no. Wherever, whatever your area is. It's, you know, it's not, it's, it's not you know, any, any local place is going to be way better. 
Right. Well, even in a even in a mid-sized city like Des Moines, that's true. Pizza Hut is well. Okay. So, about ten years ago, I worked in a job where I would travel to this um, this small town uh, about an hour away called Marshalltown. It's you know it's mm-hmm. less than a tenth the size of Des Moines. And what I noticed is they had all the fast food that we had, right? Mm-hmm. But the fast food was a big deal there, where it was passe here, right? You yeah, know, yeah. like they had Taco John's, but it was an event. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know, yeah. and 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 so and so I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I never yeah, if, will if get. If you a, live in a really really small town, yeah, it, it, these it is a big deal. Um, I'm not making fun of that. It's just you don't really have anything else in town, so right. Enjoy right. it. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, so. Speaking of pizza, <laughs> that's okay. not a segue at all. Speaking of pizza, what's our next track? Um, we're going to go completely uh, different direction. Um, this is f- from uh, Splatoon on the Wii U. And uh, this game is, uh, this uh, this song is called High Color Evolution, although I think some other places also call it City of Color. And the composer is Shiho Fuji. Awesome. Let's check it out. So yeah, Splatoon. This is uh, not a game I played a ton, but my uh, youngest kid really got into this game. And it's okay. harmless, you know. It's a, it's a shooter, but it's not like you're not shooting people. I mean, it's a paintball game, really. Uh, not even paintball. I mean, it's literally like like just paint. <laughs> um, have, have you played this? So I've played Splatoon one once or twice, and then I have Splatoon two on the Switch and played a ton of it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, there's enough of a difference to matter, but it's in from 10,000 feet they're the same game yeah. you know 
Um, my uh, Actually, I was playing Splatoon 2 recently, and my two-year-old was in the room, and he ran up to the TV and started shouting at the players that, because they were making a mess. He was oh, shouting man. at them, just shouting, mess, mess, and shouting clean up. and <laughs> So he was getting kind of indignant about it. I loved it. Yeah. Um, I could see this game being very triggering if you were kind of a neat freak. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. It, it's like the opposite of Katamari Damacy in that regard. Yes. Yes, which makes you wonder what a Katamari Splatoon mashup would be like. But um, I got to say that I love how unique the aesthetic of this game is. Mm-hmm. You know, the visuals, the the music, even even the play is a neat twist on a, on a shooter game. Yeah. You yeah, know, it's, it's, it's a shooter game that you don't feel bad letting your kids play. Right. Um, right. It, it, this music, if, if you know, people have never heard it before... Um, yeah, the music's crazy, but it uh, it absolutely fits the game perfectly. Yeah, and the the voices are warbly like it's underwater, you know, because it is kind of a everything. It doesn't look aquatic when you're playing, but the idea is you're squids. You're basically uh, special squids, and the whole thing is happening like way underwater. So um, it really works very well. Mm-hmm. I don't love every track. Some of the tracks are a little a little much for me, but the idea of the aesthetic being so unique and so apropos to the game, mm-hmm. that I really do like. So. Yeah. It took me a while to find. So the other part of my crazy system is that I, I tried to pick games that were exclusive for that console because okay. I thought it would be a cop-out if, um, you know, like I rolled the Wii U in my randomizer and I just picked a you know Breath of the Wild track. Of course. <laughs> That's too easy. Now, finding right. a Wii U exclusive is very, very hard because almost all of them have been ported to the Switch by now. And, and I have another game coming up that's about to be ported to the Switch but has not yet been ported to the Switch. Okay. All right. So you got in and under the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I might... I think once it comes down on price a little bit, I think I still might pick up Splatoon 1 just to have it. Mm-hmm. You know? Because um, I really... Yeah, it'll get poured to the Switch, I'm positive. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, probably, probably. You know Splatoon 3 is announced. I, I saw that, but the date is 2022? Yeah. I it, it, well, they didn't have a, a firm date, so... Uh, I'll see if my, uh, my youngest kid is still into Splatoon by the time it actually launches. <laughs> well, you know, there's all this noise about a, a supposed Switch Pro or Super Nintendo <laughs> Switch that's supposed to be around the corner, and... and uh, I got to admit, I'm really excited about that. So hopefully it'll come out after that system and be optimized for the better hardware. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a little bit about, like, bigger screen, for example. Well, okay, so I never fault Nintendo for being a hardware generation behind in terms of power against the PlayStation and the Xbox. um, Because it works for them. But what I don't want is for them to fall even further behind in a relative sense, right? Well, so the Switch is kind of like a Wii U Pro. Right, and it came out in the in the age of the PS4 Pro and the and the Xbox One X. So it's like it's like a PS3.5 in the day of the PS4.5, and so it it hasn't lost any ground. It's still a full generation behind what the other systems are doing. But this new Switch Pro, what they're talking about, is it's actually going to be a little bit more powerful than a PS4 or an Xbox One, more capable supporting things like DLSS and. 4K upscaling and stuff like that. So they're actually going to n- narrow the gap a little bit. If this, if these, if these rumors are true, they're actually going to narrow the performance gap a little bit, which does excite me. So, so we'll see what comes of that. Um, my next track, 
and I'm going to save the story for the back end, but I had mentioned a couple tracks that were like really on the shopping list for me, like a track that I really have to share because I have a really impe- really special story about it. And this is one of those. So our next track is Siluk Fully Armored from Cosmic Carnage on the 32X, composed by Hikashi Hashimoto. So let's go ahead and give that a listen. was Silic Heavily Armored from Cosmic Carnage on the 32X composed by Hikoshi Hashimoto. So, what's your thoughts on this? Uh, this is pretty catchy. Yeah, I, I would not have pegged this for being a song from a fighting game. I mean, I would have said this is like, uh, you know, Sonic 3 or something, if you ask me where it came from. And uh, the game itself, I mean, it's okay. You know, it was developed at a time when one-on-one fighters were a huge, huge deal. And it's a one-on-one fighter with aliens. It's <laughs> in space. In space, yeah. Where else are they going to fight? And uh, it's not not a particularly great game. Um, it was a launch title for 32X, so if you wanted a one-on-one fighter for the 32X, this is what you were getting, because it didn't have a Mortal Kombat 1, and Mortal Kombat 2 was delayed a bit for it. Mm-hmm. So this is about it. Yeah. Well, a lot of people will call this a terrible game, and I won't. I won't call it a good game. I, I would call it fair to middling. Um, of course, I have a lot of nostalgia for it. We got the 32X on Christmas 1994, and we got it with Virtual Racing Deluxe and Cosmic Carnage. Um, and so I have a lot of sentimental value from the game that way. But 
it's a it's a it's a so-so game with a very good soundtrack Mm -hmm. the whole soundtrack is awesome but this is my favorite piece from the game and um that actually came about from a really crazy story this is the only time in my memory where a piece of video game music was the center focus of a dream okay. that I had. Okay, so this the dream happened in, oh, give or take 2003. And in the dream, I was standing in this kind of laboratory, but the walls were like green and black tile, kind of like one of the operating rooms in ER, mm-hmm. the TV series ER. And there was this bank of windows along the back wall with um, people in lab coats writing notes, and there were people in lab coats milling about paying me no mind. And in the middle of the room was like this shiny porcelain or marble pedestal with a, a CRT computer monitor sitting on it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I walk up to the monitor, and as soon as I get within a few feet of the monitor, this music starts playing. And uh, what's on the monitor is a slideshow of space scenes that look a lot like the background space scenes from this game. Mm-hmm. And, and a Windows 95 style progress bar with no description on it. Right, so just the little pro- 90, Windows 95 progress bar, and it was slowly scrolling, you know, progressing. And at some point, and this is something that's so such a simple concept, but so hard to describe in words. Uh, you know when you're watching like a keynote presentation, and you see the person standing on the stage talking, and you see the, like, ex- the PowerPoint behind him, and then the camera feed switches from that to the a direct feed of the PowerPoint? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. all right. So in, in my dream, it switches from the, the lens of my eyes looking at the computer monitor to a direct feed of what's on the computer monitor, right? Okay. And um, when that progress bar finishes, I wake up. Like exactly when that progress bar finishes scrolling, I wake up and I wake up madly in love with this soundtrack, particularly this track. I, I jumped out of bed, ran to the living room, fired up the 32X and just listened to this on the sound test. And I've had a different feeling about this this uh, entire game soundtrack and particularly this track ever since that dream. And now I don't believe that dreams, I don't like, I believe that, I, I had always believed that dreams were just random misfires of the brain in rest mode. I, I recently read an, a psycho, Psychology Today article that posits it's more like um, a sort of like the brain filing memories away and kind of run, like running a simulation to see if there's any usable correlation between memories Mm -hmm. you know like does this have anything to do with this let's find out run program right it's kind of what a dream is like right so i don't like to psychoanalyze dreams or try to glean anything from them beyond that but um it's like I, i still like to kind of fantasize and romanticize that this dream was like installing a love for this track into my brain and then when the installer was done the dream ended and i woke up and ran out and played the game Hmm. Or perhaps it was trying to get you to become a scientist of some sort. <laughs> well, it failed, if that's the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I Before this, before that dream, I, I appreciated this track. I thought, this is a good one, but it didn't really m- mean anything to me. It, was, it wasn't like one of my favorites, and now it's one of my favorites, and it has been ever since that dream. All right. Um... You want to move on to the next track? Sure. All right. So I'm going to hop over to uh, PlayStation 4, and I'm going to go with um, a track from a game I just finished like uh, earlier this year. Uh, Trails of Cold Steel 4. This song is called Synchronicity Number 23, not to be confused with the uh, Police album. 
<laughs> right. And it is by uh, Falcom Sound Team JDK. The composer on this is most likely Mitsuo Singa. Again, they don't. Um, Falcom does not itemize who actually worked on which song, but other people have figured it out based on the style. And okay. uh, let's take a listen. Yeah, Synchronicity number 23. Now this is, um, for people who are big fans of the series, I, some might call this a controversial pick because um, the composer that worked on this sometimes, um, some people who are fans of the series aren't fans of, of his work because it's very different from the traditional Falcom sounding song. This one's obviously very different from most of their other songs. Um, but some of the stuff he does is really great and, and really fits the game well. So like this is a... Um, I'll say high-tech dungeon level. 
Okay. And uh, it fits perfectly in that level. It really does. And uh, this is the kind of thing you can like put on your um, jogging or running playlist too. Yeah, definitely. It, it definitely has a good energy to it, and it it loops very well. You know, it's it's uh, it has like two or three different moods, so it doesn't get real repetitive. And this part here, you know, this moment here, it's it's funny. It's not dubstep. It's not. You yeah. know, if we called it dub, someone out there who who's a real dub fan would just like lose their mind. Um, but I do. I got to admit, I'm kind of tickled at the fact that the guy who's gone out of his way to say how much he hates dubstep is the one that brings us the closest to dub we've ever come. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it does have that drop, right? That that weird sort of drop transition. And no, I've I've never really understood dubstep. Okay. It's not a it's not a place where I like to spend a ton of time, but I I would. I consider myself a fair weather fan of it. Like I like it now and then. So, um, but there's, there's so much more to this track than kind of just the faux dub. Yeah. Like this, this is real twinkly and kind of pretty and, you know, pearlescent and it's fun. Yeah. It's a good track. Um, so you said techno dungeon in the game. How, how far into the game is it? Uh, it comes up twice. Once in, the first third of the game, roughly. So you're about, let's see, it's your, you're visiting Crossbow. Yeah, it's a few hours in, you know. It's, okay. it's a very long game. So it's about six hours in, at least. Um, okay. But but this is a game that's like 100 hours. So that's why I say, if I say six hours is early on, it's because it's a very, very long game. And then, okay. then you visit another really, really short dungeon that they reuse this song for um, towards the end of the game. It's one of the last places you visit. Okay. Um, now you had mentioned <clears throat> you had mentioned earlier that there was one other game that was going to be coming out on the Switch later. Is this the one? This is the one. Yeah, this is going to be on on the Switch in April, I believe. Okay. Um, it's, it's a weird. It's a very weird setup. So the the developer only works on PS4 games. They're a smaller company. They only support one system at a time. And so the company that did the English localization went out and hired some like specialty some team that specializes in porting things across systems to do the switch port which then they sell back to the Japanese company so it's going to release like in Japan and US and China on the switch all around the same time okay and it's okay. pretty good like I the, the previous game in this series is also on switch and um, I mean it it's locked at 30 frames per second if you care about that kind of thing uh, it's an RPG I don't even know why you would care about that um, so it's sim you know it looks very very close to the PS4 version. Like you're not gonna look at it and think it's an uh, inferior game. It's okay. So s similar graphic quality, but a lower frame rate. Yeah, yeah. And you know there've been some people have done like you know analysis on you know shading and other very technical artifacts, but they're well, they're pretty right. minor. Right. Well, and the frame thing especially is going to be a lot less important for an RPG game. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, for me, the whole thing about how much graphics matter, how much performance matters, is it's a long ways away from being the most important consideration. Mm -hmm. But it it doesn't. Well, it matters to me enough that I prefer to play Switch docked, and I prefer to play Switch over like Wii U and PS3. Uh, but I don't care enough about it to prefer the PS4 or PC or Xbox over the flexibility of the Switch. Yeah. You know. So. I usually will go for the Switch version first, and if I like the game well enough, 
to play through a second time. Then my second playthrough will be like on the PC or the Xbox or whatever. And then I'll enjoy the enhanced graphics at that point. So like I just beat Doom Eternal on the Switch and enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> and <laughs> but, but I like it well enough for a second playthrough. So for the second playthrough, I'll do it on PC. So, um, okay, cool. Well, I'll have to keep an eye out for this game when it hits the Switch. Um, now, the next track is the other one that has the really big story, um, which, of course, I'll save for the back end. And it's going to take us in a very different direction musically. This is going to be, the, I guess, the chill zone of the episode. Um, we're going to hear, and actually, we're going to go back to the CDI. So we're doing two CDI tracks in one episode. Uh, we're going to hear Chris VR from Burn Cycle. And it's composed by Simon Boswell. So let's give her a listen.
Okay, and that's Chris VR from Burn Cycle on the CDI, composed by Simon Boswell. So what do you think about this, Hugh? This is really relaxing. Really, really calming. Um, doesn't fit the title of the game at all. <laughs> well, it was written for a particular scene, and that's so comp... That's, I'm actually a little mad about this, because the scene had so much heart bomb potential but the mm -hmm. only thing that lived that rose to the task is the music so in the in the game at this point uh you're getting sucked into the pro like the program the, the computer world or program or whatever and you are greeted by chris and she's a, a friend or maybe even a loved one i'm not sure but you witnessed her get killed earlier in the game and so then you're in this comp computer program and here she is alive and well no memory of ever getting killed. You know, what are you talking about dead? You know, kind of thing, right? And it just has this potential for like this um, real, like heart strings mm -hmm. reunion with the dead, right? But the script writing and the cinematography and uh, the, the, the camera work is all so unbelievably bad that it just like totally ruins the mood. I mean, I'm not a big... I'm not a big fan of, I'm not, a, I'm not big into adult content, mm -hmm. if you will, but I've seen enough of it to, that this has that kind of production quality. Okay. You know, that kind of hallmark bad acting and bad cinematography and bad script writing, that it's like, you're not 100% sure they're not gonna just take their clothes off. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's so frustrating for me because this scene could have been so powerful with music like this. Mm -hmm. Like, Imagine, imagine it, listener, um, getting to have one more talk with a beloved dead one, or, you know, a, a loved one who's passed away. Imagine getting to talk to them and mm -hmm. see them one more time. Um, and, like, I listen to this and I always think, I need to call my dad. Mm -hmm. Because he's going to pass away, and then I'm never going to be able to listen to this piece again because all it's gonna do is make me wanna to talk to him one more time, you know? Um, now, I will say, and maybe this is a strange subject, um, but I mean, as far as I know, my time is nowhere nowhere soon, and I certainly have no interest in hastening it along. Uh, so this is nothing like that, but I have thought about like, if my life were to end in a deathbed situation, what would I want that playlist to be? What kind of music would I want? to be listening to to take me out right mm -hmm. and this kind of stuff is what i keep coming back to this kind of music is what i want to 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 go out on if you will and so maybe that's a really dark or weird thought uh, but yeah this is totally deathbed playlist material for me so i'm looking up the director of burn cycle okay I, there's a couple people with the same name so that's why it's difficult Trying to see what else they've worked on. To see if they've worked on. I'll, I'll, I'll take a bullet here for the team and, and see if they've worked on anything risque. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me if they have. Uh, yeah, too too many people with this with this. See, this one's with a similar name, so I can't say for sure. IMDb usually doesn't listen doesn't listen to video games very well. That's the problem. So you have right. to like cross-check Moby Games with Wikipedia with you know with IMDB and hope you get to the right person okay 
What is the director's name? Um, so according to Moby Games, it's a big step, but the person who is credited as like director, as in they were doing the cinema, is Rob Lequense. Quesney, I should say. That doesn't sound like a name where there'd be 40,000 of them. Well, but there's two, and that's enough. Um, okay. So, okay. Did either of them do adult content? It does not appear so. Um, and I'm just sort of looking through the other. So, sound department, additional crew, visual effects. I mean, like, none of the actors from this game have anything in IMDb. Okay. Like, they maybe were like a background character in a Doctor Who episode or something. Okay. You know, um, Chris, that's the character who died, you said? Yeah. Um, yeah, in a couple other TV show appearances in 1995 and then nothing. Okay. So, definitely not a uh, big, big thing. The writer of it mostly has done horror movies. Okay. What little I remember about the game story, that's believable. So, yeah. yeah, I wouldn't... Yeah, okay. Yeah, pretty much all um, all horror movies, it looks like, from the writer. Okay. And here, I thought this was a racing game. Burn Psych? Oh, well, it makes sense, the name. You know, you think like a burnout kind of thing. Yeah. All right. Definitely not a racing game. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's um let's stick with some kind of chill music for a little bit. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with the GameCube game, Paper Mario: The Thousand Year Door. Uh, the composers on that are Yoshito Hirano and Yuka Tsujiyoko, and this song is called Pennington's Mystery.
right, yeah, Paper Mario, Thousand Year Door, Pennington's Mystery. Um, I like this song because it reminds me of Twin Peaks a lot. Um, okay. And it's during sort of a murder mystery segment in the game. Um, you know, sort can, of fun little can, diversion. A little bit late in the game, this one comes up. Okay. Uh, can I make a confession that's going to lose lose me some cred with some people? Yeah. I've entire I've completely slept through the entire Twin Peaks of verse. Okay. Um, so, you know, beyond being familiar with the name and having, like, a super vague sense of what it might be about, I know nothing about Twin Peaks. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a really... I, I really like this show for the first one and a half seasons, and then it goes completely off the rails. And the latest reboot, I watched one in about one, maybe two episodes, and said this is horrible, and turned it off. Okay. Well, so, l- let's... We're probably wrong to do so, but let's presume there's someone listening that doesn't know what Twin Peaks is. Okay. Why don't you tell tell us? Yeah, it's a, it's a early '90s. Um, it's sort of set up as like a murder mystery show. It's a David Lynch show, so it's you know very weird and you know has a lot of symbolism that nobody understands, including probably himself. <laughs> um, and it's uh, basically a small town. There's a murder mystery. Uh, a young woman is murdered in a small town in um, Pacific Northwest, and the um, you know, small town sheriff can't handle a, a murder case, so this uh, agent from uh, Washington D.C. comes in to work the case, and he's okay. kind of a quirky character, and everybody in town is kind of quirky, and, and most of it is about like just weird things happening in the town. Okay. Um, and then halfway through the second season, they solved the murder mystery, and then they didn't really have anything to write about anymore, and then the show got pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of I, I, I'm sure this isn't what it was but I kind of just picture everyone just standing around on screen looking at her like well so do you like sports yeah that's yeah that's <laughs> about about what you get from the rest of the, the okay. series I mean they, they do some kind of far-fetched stuff um, but what ends up well, I guess what happened the story is is like the network really wanted to pressure um, David Lynch to to solve the mystery uh, I guess for ratings or whatever and he had intended for the show to kind of go on perpetually because right? once you solve the mystery, that's what's holding, like, why is the FBI agent still in town after they've solved this murder mystery? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was the one thing kind of keeping these characters together. And now there was no reason for most of the characters to interact with each other anymore. Okay. All right. Um, well, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Um, but you say the music and the kind of the music is similar to this. Yeah. The first, the first like five seconds of this song sounds straight out of Twin Peaks. Okay. Well, because the thing I like about this music so much is um, it's got this great bedrock of really solid jazz, Mm -hmm. but then it has all this quirk over it, and I really like the mix of that. Yeah. It's like bringing us back to the uh, Splatoon track. Sort of, yeah, yeah. It's the most Splatoon thing, it's the most Splatoon, non-Splatoon track in this episode. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Definitely, um, which I hope uh, I hope is not spoilers for anyone for the next two tracks. Um, I really like it. Now I haven't played this game. The only Paper Mario games I've played are uh, Sticker Star and Origami King. Okay. Uh, but I keep hearing a lot of criticism about those games from real Paper Mario or quote unquote real Paper Mario fans because they kind of tend to hold the N sixty four original game is like the gold standard. And everything that doesn't feel like that is not a Paper Mario game. Huh. That's kind of the impression I get from those guys. And I I like Sticker Star. 
and I love Origami King. And so if those aren't good Paper Mario games, I really would kind of like to see what is. Yeah, I mean, they're they're a different style. Um, and, and, you know, people can get upset when a style of a game changes. Uh, this game mm-hmm. is very similar in style to the original Nintendo 64 game. I actually, I found the Nintendo 64 game to be um, kind of boring. It, it really kind of dragged towards the end. Um, I mean, it's a neat idea, um, but the story doesn't really... I don't, I don't think the story was very interesting. And I thought... So you feel like this is this, an improvement yeah, then? Yeah, this one did much... Um, there's a lot more happening in the story, uh, for sure. And, I mean, there are times it goes off the rails a little bit, but it's um, it, it's always moving. Like, the game always kind of feels like it's moving along. And the, and the first game just kind of feels slow. And I don't know. Didn't really do much for me. Okay. Well, I don't know if I'll ever get around to collecting the old Paper Mario games, but if I if I come across one for cheap, I'll buy it and and kind of see what the magic's all about. Or, hell, in the day of YouTube long plays, I don't need to buy the game. I can just watch a YouTube video for four hours and or however long it is. And yeah. So. Okay, well, the next track, we're getting close to the end. The next track is my last track of the day and the second to last track of the episode. And stylistically, it's nothing like this, but it does kind of keep a little bit of that... Um, uh, dark energy, I guess. Um, and it is Mystic Woods from the OPN version of Ground Seed on the PC 8898. And it is composed... I, uh, I, <laughs> I messed myself up on the notes. I wasn't scrolled to the right part. Composed by Daisuke Takahashi. So let's go ahead and, and check that one out.
Okay, and that was Mystic Woods from the OPN version of Ground Seed on the PC-98, composed by Daisuke Takahashi. What'd you think, Hugh? I got very, um, very hypnotic. That's my first impression, man. It reminds me a little bit of the song we, we played before, a little bit. Um, but yeah, very like, like uh, you're going to be going to sleep and, and doing what I say kind of vibe to it. <laughs> I think it's all the sine waves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sine waves when they're in an upper register are a hearing test, and when they're in a lower register, they're the bass booms and very, very diverse sound for such a simple uh, si- uh, sound wave. But that's actually, well, I, I love that about this piece stylistically, the kind of haunting sine chords, mm-hmm. you know. But the thing I like about those sine waves even more is this, the weird science behind them, the technology. Um, and I don't want to get super duper deep into this, but on um, Yamaha OPN series chips, on FM channel 3 and FM channel 6, they weren't bound to the typical eight algorithms. So you could configure the the four operators virtually any way you wanted. Mm-hmm. And when when that was used, which is actually very rare, when that was used, it was usually used for percussion. So they could do more complex percussion sounds than, you know. But um, you, you can do almost anything with it, including having the four operators operate completely independent of each other. No, no FMing at all, just four sine waves doing their own thing. And that's exactly what's happening here. Because this, this sounds like six FM channels and three PSG channels. But those four sine waves are all FM3. But they're not bound to each other. They're all doing their own completely independent thing. And it, this this can't be the only track out there that does this, but this is the only track I know for a fact that does this. And so it's just really interesting from a technical perspective. Um, you know, FM1 is the bass, FM2 is the percussion, and then FM3 is that entire chorus of sine waves. So um, I, what I love about this piece musically is it's so, um, it's so haunting. You know, I, um, I did a, I put together a music block that was originally intended to be 2019's ha- Halloween Channel 1, but it never came out. And I think I'm going to use it for Halloween 2022. So it'll be four years old by the time the listeners hear it. Mm-hmm. And it does not include this track. And I'm very disappointed in myself for not having thought of it. But I could always add it, but I don't want to because part of the charm of that is it's going to be four years old. If I add it, then it won't be four years old. Um, now, one thing I really hit on when I when I meant, announced this episode or this track is that it's the OPN version. And the reason why that's important is... Um, there's an OPN version, which is YM2203, and an OPN-A version, which is the YM2608, which is a much more advanced FM chip than the OPN. And it's not just a scaled-up or scaled-down version of the same soundtrack. The two versions use completely different soundtracks, completely different melodies, completely different composers. And when most people think Ground Seed, if they're familiar with Ground Seed, 99% of the time they're thinking the Dio Yamamoto... Mm-hmm. Is it Yamamoto? Umimoto. Uh, OPN A soundtrack with the big ballsy percussion and you know the over the top sampling but in my experience I really actually prefer the more simple OPN version okay um, yeah yeah a lot of great music in both versions but I really I mean I, I really like the OPN A but I love the OPN soundtrack so yeah um, this is like such an obscure game how did how did you uh, get into this so, 
um, I don't know, five or six, seven years ago, I kind of just started ex just random exploration of uh, PC-98 music, uh, Sharp X68000, you know, the Japanese computer games. Yeah. And it would just kind of fall down the YouTube rabbit hole. And I ran into Ground Seed, and it was a really great example. And then, of course, uh, there's a number of other VGM podcasts I listen to, and a number of them have have um, have done stuff related to Ground Seed also. So I think Pixelated Audio, I think it was, gosh, a really early episode, like one of their first 10 episodes or whatever, that was all dedicated to Ground Seed. And, and uh really great episode for a really great podcast and um yeah it really i had ex i had come across ground seed before that but that was the episode that really you know really got me excited about ground seed All right. so um so before we get to the next track we should do some end of show business tell tell everyone about your other shows yeah, uh, our Retro Game Club podcast. Just search for that. We're on iTunes and um, all the other podcast distribution networks. It's a show where we talk about um, a lot of like emulation, a lot of tech talk, um, and we talk about like a different retro game each each week that we uh, we're playing. And uh, it's a lot of fun, you know. If if you're into kind of the tech side of um, of retro gaming, you know, again like homebrew projects, weird hardware mods. Um, that, that kind of stuff is what we like to talk about. And it's a really good show, uh, listeners. I've, I've been listening to it since, I think, the beginning. Okay. I think the beginning, because, you know, a, a lot of people will know before Retro Game Club, you were a part of an almost decade-long podcast called The Retro League. Mm -hmm. And when that went off the air, it left kind of a big vacuum in the community, the, in the scene, because it was a really important podcast. And when I found out you had a new show... I think I was very fast to jump all over mm -hmm. that. Well, thank you. So, yeah, no, it's a really good show. It's it's it has a similar energy to the Retro League, but it's uh, for lack of a better term, smarter. You know, because you bring in all the tech talk and and all that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and sometimes we bring in tech stuff we don't even understand. So that's um, <laughs> that, that that's good. I had a one um, last one we recorded. We were talking. It was like this tech article, but it was all in French, so it was a little bit hard to follow. And, you know, it's about, like, how do you build a card reader for the Sega Master System and write the software to use the card reader? Uh, but you had, to, oh, wow. you had to do it, like, through Google Translate and, and piece together what they were doing. It was uh, it was really interesting. Like, it was really educational. Um, but if you like learning about new projects, there's, I mean, every week there's all kinds of new projects like that. Um, you know, we're, we're usually not going over old projects. This is usually stuff in the past week that has just sort of appeared. Okay. Okay. Um... Well, I'll have to I'll have to check that episode out. I don't I haven't heard that one yet, so I'll have to check that yeah, out. Yeah, that probably is online about now. Um, and let me see. Yeah, I think I think that one would have just gone out. And what are we talking about? So by the time this one comes out, this this episode here that we're recording at this moment. Um, oh yeah, we're talking about a, a accessory for the Sega Saturn that lets you uh, play games off an SD card without um, hacking your system apart. So that's a good one. Uh, how to make your own Game Boy cartridge. That's on the show notes. <laughs> um, Does it involve a 3D printer? It it must. I did not add this one to our show notes, so I have to it's a, I have to read this one myself first. Um, it oh geez, this is pretty detailed. It looks like because they are like they're they're starting with like taking a camera and measuring the dimensions before making it. 
and getting it into like a uh, you know CAD program or something. Okay. Uh, this is not just printing the cartridge. This is literally like assembling the board and putting your EEPROM in and everything. It's it's the whole stack of building the Game Boy cartridge. That's pretty neat. Wow. That's you know for for most people that's something they'll never do. <laughs> I, I think I probably never will. But if you were like doing homebrew Game Boy development. And you wanted to give people or sell physical copies of your game, you'd probably need to know how to do this. Right. Right. Uh, just well, and there's a lot of people. So, so even on the last that. episode, we talked about like a, a a place where you can buy, you know, if you're doing homebrew and you want to buy just bulk blank Nintendo cases or blank Super Nintendo cartridge cases, um, a distributor that uh, we were talking about a distributor that sells those. Okay. Okay. Um. That's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, okay. And of course, you have you have a bunch of uh, you have a lot of uh, other podcasts that people might know about if they're listening to this. But in case they don't, well, so I have this is Nerd Noise Radio Channel Two. Um, the other show I do is Nerd Noise Radio Channel One, which it's going out on the same podcast feed. So I guess you could debate whether it's a separate show or just a different kind of show. But um, I'm now in my fifth year of doing Channel One. Uh, just had an episode come out last month, and it's actually a Mishmash Monday. It's uh, uh, Mishmash Monday Volume Ten, and in my parlance, Mishmash Monday is a themeless free play. Um, and it's it does have a first for the show. It has a medley, a five track medley in the middle of the episode dedicated to uh, uh, the color games from Bart Bonte, which I won't talk about more now because we might mention Bart Bonte in in the next episode of Channel Two. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's whereas this show is more of a conversational shareathon, very much kind of more your traditional VGM podcast. Channel One was it, it's a mixtape. It's um it's inspired by things like NPR's Hearts of Space and you know stuff like that. And there's very minimal talking in the intro, very minimal talking in the outro, and then a big music block with no talking, just uninterrupted music uh, in the middle. So if you haven't checked Channel One out, do it do it yeah. and let me know what you think yeah um i know i said it before but it's a, it's a really great podcast to um for for coding if, if you know you need something to put on and, and you know that's good for like you need to concentrate on a problem because you don't have all you know the back and forth you don't have like conversation distracting you it's, it's really good for that yeah and that's that's kind of the way it's designed and 89 80 90 of the channel one fans are fans because it's it's tune out music you know, and that I'm fine with that. I if people are fans, I don't care why they're fans. I'm just happy they're fans. You know, so, um, but yeah, it's tune out music for 90 percent people. So if you want that with video games, Channel One is it for you. Um, so next next episode of Channel Two, it's going to come out in June, and it's going to be a focus on um, summary music. Uh, we've already we already have our tracks picked out for it. Uh, we're not going to say anything about them, uh, but we'll we'll get together in probably May or June to record that episode, and then you'll hear it in June. Uh, in the meanwhile, I think pretty much all that leaves for us, Hugh, is the final track of the day, which is yours. And since we're not coming back, tell tell let's talk about it now. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is uh, going back to Retro Game Club. This is a uh, composer that we had on the show back in June of 2020, uh, episode 52 overall. Uh, we also talk about the Guinness World Records feuding with Billy Mitchell, apparently. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, the, the composer's name is Dan Hess, and he uh, worked on a game called Pilot Wings 64, among other games. Um, this is probably his most well-known track. It's called Birdman, and it is a super chill, relaxing song. Um, enjoy this one a lot. The folks over at 8-Bit Big Band uh, just released an album that has their take on this song also. Awesome. I'll have to check that out because I have checked out 8-Bit Big Band on your recommendation. Um, yeah, I think it's a fantastic track. It's super smooth. Super smooth. Um, my favorite track of the of the soundtrack, I'd say my second favorite is the results theme. And speaking of Channel One, back in, in May of 2019, I had a, a, a Two for Tuesday episode, which is a free play but in pairs. And the closing pair of that episode was Pilot Wing 64, and it was Birdman followed by Results. Mm -hmm. So that was how we closed out the episode. Um, do you have anything else you want to say before we before we say goodbye and listen to this music? Uh, no, not really. I mean, just enjoy the, enjoy the track, and uh, you know, look forward to talking to you again in a couple months. Yes, thank you for listening, and we will see you in June.